This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hi, we're doing an event with Bob Nelson next week. He's going to talk to the screenwriting students at UC Santa Barbara. Oh, so, great. Yeah, we want to ask you a question. So when you first read the script, what really drew you to your character? Well, I, I think that it's so sparse, and whatever he has down there means something. I mean, it's not a lot of verbiage, you know. And I just felt that she was a wonderful lady, and I really knew her. I mean, I felt when I read her that I knew who she was. I knew why she was doing what she was doing. The cemetery scene is the one that really grabbed me emotionally because Bruce Stern's about to cry. And you're just being hysterical. That was such a great marital dynamic. Is that something you work with Bruce to develop, or did you? No, in fact, that was the first scene I shot. So, and I yelled at Alexander, this is hard. He said, well, we'll do it, we'll do it, don't worry. And we did, of course you always do. But, I mean, to be faced with that on my first day. And Bruce and Will had done some scenes together, so they were a little closer than I was with them. But it was wonderful. I mean, from day one, it was that script and Alexander, they meshed. They really did. And how exciting it is sharing all the Oscar nominations with all your great collaborators. <laughs> it's great. We go, you know, we go and we have a whole table of Nebraskans, and it's wonderful. Thank you so much, and good luck tonight. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You're watching the Script to Screen show, and the Script to Screen examines the translation of the Script to Screen by writers, of course, directors, actors, and producers. It is brought to you by the UC Department of Film and Media Studies, Carsey Wolf Center. And more importantly, it's brought to you by these lovely Pollock Theater interns you see behind the cameras. They put this event together in nine days, produced, marketed, and now are shooting it live as a TV show. So pat them on the back on the way out. You know, they do a great job of making me look good, which is not so easy. Uh, today, we're proud to have shown Nebraska. Nebraska's gotten six Oscar nominations Best Picture, Best Director, Alexander Payne, Best Actor, Bruce Dern, Best Supporting Actress, June Squibb. Best Cinematographer, and of course, Best Original Screenplay, uh, written by Bob Nelson. So please welcome to the Pollock Theater stage, Bob Nelson. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. We have so much to talk about this wonderfully textured film. Uh, I'm so excited that you joined us. But the Thanks. obvious first question mm -hmm. to me was... The drive to L.A. to Santa Barbara is about 120 miles. How long did it take you? <laughs> well, uh, if I hadn't got lost in Oxnard uh, for a little bit, uh, probably could have done the hour and a half. But I wanted to see some of the scenery up there and uh, some of the dead ends. And so, uh, <laughs> hour and a half. Just let you know, I can do it in 20 minutes. Just, uh, just yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> Uh, so we talked to you at the Writers Guild last week, and yeah. you mentioned you began writing the script in 2002. What yeah. inspired you first to write this script? Uh, unemployment, desperation, and fear <laughs> uh, was what first started it. Um, uh, I don't know how uh, many of you probably grew up with Bill Nye the Science Guy, right? Well, <laughs> I started on a Seattle show in, in the 90s with Bill Nye, and that's how he wound up getting his own uh, PBS show. Uh, and, and the show I was on with him, Almost Live, ended towards the end of the century. And uh, so I was out of work, and I was getting ready to 
come down to uh, Los Angeles, and I had friends in the TV business, but none in movies. But the, a friend in TV said, besides writing a Simpsons and uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, they, they really like to read uh, uh, film scripts now just to see how you deal with story and character, even if you're trying to get a TV job. And I thought, well, that's a good idea because it'll be a reading sample and I'll also have some low-budget uh, film script that I can shop around as well. Uh, so uh, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it now, this was the only idea I had <laughs> for a movie. So that's uh, what I did. I, I wrote this one up. Uh, and uh, it, uh, while I was doing that show uh, for Bill Nye before I moved down here, uh, a producer from, an, from L.A. came up. Uh, to work on it. Uh, her name is Julie Thompson. And uh, you can see her name now on the credits as an executive producer. And uh, she read uh, the script while she was producing the Nye Show and said, I know a, a man, Ron Yerksa, who's a producer in L.A. who might enjoy this type of very small film, tiny story. Uh, so uh, she got it to Ron and, and they optioned it and uh, that's uh, how it happened. I, I mean, in between there somewhere, I guess I wrote it. I, it's hard to remember. It's been so long. <laughs> but it, it was a little struggle for me to, to write because I'd never written anything more than five minutes before uh, uh, writing sketches. And even a lot of those sagged in the middle. So the thought of <laughs> trying to write an hour and 45-minute story was very daunting, and it took me quite a while. So why the, uh, the location of Nebraska? Hawaii's warmer. There are other places <laughs> that you could... Uh, well, you know, it's funny is when they were shooting... I was there for a week, but most of the time they were shooting it in the cold, in, especially in Montana. I was at, uh, I was at home in, in the Seattle area in, in a nice uh, uh, warm room. Well, all the, and I just picked uh, Montana off a map. And now here's all these people out there in 10-degree weather shooting my film. Uh, so I, I felt a little bad. But uh, uh, my family is from Nebraska. Uh, they moved when I was six weeks old because I said, let's get the hell out of here. Uh, but as I was growing up, I, I used to go back and, and visit the relatives on the mm. farms in small towns, and I grew to love the place. And I got to know uh, my dad himself had um, 17 siblings. Oh, and that's where those uncles come from that you, you see in the movie. The, uh, those are my uncles. And as uh, a brother of mine, who, when he first saw the movie, uh, mentioning that scene where they're watching TV and talking about cars, he said, that's not writing, that's dictation. <laughs> uh, because that was, uh, that was our childhood. But they were great guys. We loved them. Uh, so uh, my mom and dad met in northeast Nebraska, right in the area where they shot. And uh, I just, uh, besides the Seattle area, that's the part of the country I knew the best. And I really hadn't seen a lot of it on screen. So I thought this uh, could be an unusual setting as well. So it's knowing the people, uh, knowing the setting. Uh, Woody Grant there uh, is a representation of my own father. And uh, so I started out using some true family stories. My dad was a mechanic, and he drank, and he'd blown out his tools. And... Um, on the uh, air compressor, uh, that really happened. Uh, he loaned out an air compressor and never got it back. Uh, but what I didn't put in the movie is he actually he even loaned out a truck of his and never saw it again. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, the ending of this movie is really wish fulfillment on my part all these years later. My dad's been gone a long time. But uh, uh, this is me getting my dad his truck and his compressor back, finally. Mm. So. So, I mean, so obviously, so it's very personal to you. It, was it uh, difficult for you to find the humor? Because you're, you're basing this on your own life, but finding the humor in some of the tragedy also. That's right. I, it, it's hard. But uh, the filmmakers I grew up uh, really appreciating, like Billy Wilder and Hal Ashby in the 70s, uh, and when Alexander Payne came along, uh, these were people who were mixing drama and comedy in that ugly word, dramedy, that we all hate. Uh, but many years ago, uh, a movie was just a movie. It, was, it didn't necessarily have to be uh, classified. So, yeah, it was a little difficult. And I came from a strictly comedy background, writing sketches and jokes. So writing the drama was difficult, and that was the hardest part for me to plot out. One, one of the first scenes that I came up with uh, was stealing the air compressor because I'd been brainstorming my own life and you know, my own stories, and I wanted that to be part of it. So I wrote that scene, and then I wrote a few of the other uh, more humorous scenes, and then I kind of built the drama around that because I just felt more comfortable writing comedy to start with. But I, I knew I wanted to do something a, a little different. I didn't want to do a flat-out comedy. Uh, yeah, my favorite bit in the comedy pit with the compressor is the mom, June Squibb, who has been railing on every person living in that town, except mm-hmm. those two people they stole the compressor. Yes. Salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That was yeah. one of my favorite moments. <laughs> so. Well, that, yeah, and uh, again, coming back to why uh, trying to integrate the comedy in there as well, when I first plotted this out, uh, June Squibb's character did not make it past the first act. Uh, but as I was looking at it, I thought I need someone to provide some humor later on. That'll make me feel more comfortable. And by doing that and coming up with the cemetery scene, it also made me think of ways to to use Kate as part of the storyline and the drama. And uh, And that's how I came up later, much later in the plotting, with her having the confrontation with the family and telling them off in such a, a vivid term at the end. Uh, so luckily all, all of that came from that. But when I first met June Squibb on the, on the set, I, I walked up to her and, uh, and introduced myself and said, uh, I don't know how many of you have seen About Schmidt, but in yeah. About Schmidt, she's killed off in Act One. She, she dies on the floor of the kitchen. And I came up to her and said, you know, you almost died again in Act One of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I... You know, decided we we needed Kate in Hawthorne somehow. It was amazing because she had, we interviewed her last week at the Guild Wars too, and she said that was her first sh- scene was the cemetery scene she shot. Yes, and it freaked her out a little. It's like, oh my god, this is a tense scene. If you know how movies are shot, and especially low budget movies do not have the luxury of shooting in order, uh, especially at, at, at this budget, so. When they're looking at locations and where they're going to be, it's pretty much we're going to shoot this scene and this scene and this scene that day because the trucks will all be there. We don't have to move them and pay everybody for an extra day. So that's what happened. June Squibb showed up, and they took her out to the cemetery. And as she said, she, she was trying to do it. She didn't, hadn't really been able to get into her character yet, so she's trying to play it different ways. And, and she said she yelled over at Alexander, this is hard. <laughs> you know, especially for a first day. And he said, don't worry, we'll find it. You know? Well, it was great. It, was, it summed up her character, but at the same time, Woody's going through a lot of pain in that scene. 
all in his face. So yeah. is, that, is that something challenging for you when running Woody? Because a lot of his mm-hmm. pain is internal. Yeah. And, and in that scene, um, uh, I'd have to look at the script again, but I do not think in, in my script that I'm writing in there, she's saying this and Woody is reacting this way. Uh, that staging is uh, director Alexander Payne. And I really like that because, as you say, you have her saying these outrageous things. You know, whether you find them funny or not, there's this, you know, absurd thing going on. But in Woody's face, you can see the pain uh, that these memories are causing him. And uh, earlier, uh, before he went to Hawthorne in the hospital, he says, I, I, I don't want to go to Hawthorne. And this is probably one of the reasons to confront, you know, not only the people who are still living, but also the people that he's lost over the years, including siblings. It's interesting, what he basically always says what he wants. What's I don't that? want to go to Hawthorne. He, oh, he yeah. always <laughs> says he doesn't want to go. Yeah, he just says it much shorter than Kate does. <laughs> exactly. yeah. And I did love the moment when he first saw his brother after how many years, we were assuming? Yeah. A long time. Hey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad at the extent of their conversation. And that's, uh, if any of you know, the uh, brother wonderfully played by Rance Howard, who is Ron Howard's dad. Oh, um, and when I saw that Rance Howard was going to play that part, I thought, oh, that's perfect, uh, because I, I knew his work. And he actually looks like my uncle's. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my, uh, there, there are a whole bunch of family stories about my dad and his uncles, and even his, uh, his sisters were not big talkers either. Uh, they, you can get them going. But uh, that my, uh, since there were 17 siblings, there was such a, an age difference that my dad was one of the youngest, and he had these brothers who could have been his his own dad and then when we moved out to washington state he was in a tavern and talking to these people and talking to this guy and finally people figured out one of them said do you know that this is your brother they've been talking for half an hour (laughs) and that's probably what they did they said oh hey how you doing (laughs) so so you you touched on so davy is a little like you then david uh, that's where it started. I mean, it, it, things change as you, as you write the script and you try and incorporate different things. And then when you have someone like Will Forte, uh, you know, doing such a great job uh, making the character himself, uh, his own and Alexander Payne directing. But the basic thought uh, was going back to when I was a teenager and these things were happening to my dad. And how do you deal with someone who has an addiction? Uh, some days you feel frustrated and not so generous, and other days you just try and do the best you can uh, by them. And, and, and in this uh, sense, uh, with, with David trying to give his dad some dignity. So uh, in a way, David and Ross as brothers almost uh, are, you know, you know there's two sides of the same coin. Uh, they could have just as easily been one character who just kept waffling back and forth on how he wanted to treat his dad. But I, I like the idea of, of bringing a brother into it and also uh, uh, that uh, Ross could come in uh, later as, as well as Kate to help push the story along. And it was also a great fist fight between the cousins and Ross. Yeah, I didn't imagine it. Uh, I didn't imagine it that way, but I loved it when I saw the dailies that it's, that it's these two guys. You want to go? You want to go? Yeah. And then it's a slap fight. first. Uh, you know, I mean, Ross, you know, he's on TV. He doesn't want to get hit. But what's the other cousin doing? You know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's just a coward, I guess. So, so obviously, like, it's interesting when David f- learns about his father. 
I, I found little things like the mm-hmm. from a girlfriend, the affair. But at the same time, yeah. Ed Pegram took advantage of him. There was some really interesting way of learning. Is it kind of fascinating right. for you that he couldn't talk to his dad about this, but had to learn from all the other people? Yeah, and, and when I first had the idea for the script, uh, it was based on a news story that this actually happened. People would travel across country to a sweepstakes office and try to collect their money. And that, that's why this was the only idea I had, and it stuck in my head. But I, uh, I kept thinking of this as, you know, it could be a small independent movie that's strictly a road trip where it's father and son going from there to Lincoln. And along the way, you would have the ups and downs, the arguments, the reconciliations, uh, and all of that. But all of the information about uh, his dad pa- dad's past would have to come from the dad himself. So it would be direct delivery of exposition. So when I thought of them going through the dad's hometown, that's when I actually thought I might be able to make a movie out of it because then David isn't going to learn from his dad. He's going to learn from Ed. He's going to learn from the woman at the newspaper office, uh, the other relatives. So I I think that's a little uh, nicer way to to try and keep keep it entertaining as well. And how much fun was it right to see him when he punched Ed's, uh, Ed in the face? Because <laughs> well, uh, we all wanted to do it, the whole movie. Did, was everyone hoping he'd punch him in the face? <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, that's an, another interesting you know, uh, story about how these things progress. When I wrote the scene, I was very worried about that, uh, in that uh, not that Ed doesn't necessarily deserve it, but uh, he is an older guy, you know, mm-hmm. he, uh, so it, it, it's a little risky. So in my version, uh, when David walks up to him, he's there and he's, you know, he, it's like he wants to punch him. And then he maybe makes a motion like he's like to brush him off. And Ed sees that as a punch coming. So Ed actually took the first punch in the original script. Now, Alexander changed that to uh, show that everything that had been happening to da- David in his life and in, on this trip, and now knowing this Ed Pegram and what, you know, the things he had done to his own dad. He wanted to bring David to a boil and just let it explode. And, and that's why you see him just turning around clocking the guy. Um, I also, the, one of my other favorite scenes was a teeth scene. Yes. Where Will Forte does a great joke, it's not your mm-hmm. teeth, but you actually convinced us mm-hmm. in the script that he actually wasn't his teeth. Bruce Stern did a great job delivering <laughs> your lines. Was yeah. that kind of fun, like pulling that off? Well, uh, again, like I said, uh, a few of these things came from real life. My, my dad, being a mechanic, uh, he was also he was in World War II and was shot down. And when he came back, everyone said he was much quieter and he's definitely changed by the war. Uh, but uh, another true scene uh, is actually losing the teeth by the railroad tracks. <laughs> And uh, my wife is here again, and I always have to point this out when she's in the audience. There she is, right over there. And uh, she's a little pissed about that scene because uh, my wife and I had gone over to my dad's house one day, and we were talking, and all of a sudden he did say, where are my teeth? And we said, well, started looking around, and then he said, well, maybe they are by the tracks because I fell down there last night coming back from the tavern. So the three of us went over there, and we looked for the teeth, and Valerie was actually the one who found them, and she is so pissed because I wrote her out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. But I, you know, it would have just been weird to have some strange woman walk by and find them uh, at that point. Uh, so uh, you know, things like that 
really did happen. Now, the exchange, I, I did not tease my dad that these weren't his teeth. Uh, that was added uh, for the script. The, uh, and, of course, the scene we're all dreading in the movie is what will happen when he actually finds out it's a scam. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you approach that scene? Because that's really the climax. It's right. just kind of, were you really concerned? How would the balance on that? Well, I felt uh, the, the one drawback I had when I first started writing the script is that the endings seemed like there was no way out. There was, there was no good way out, uh, some great way out when I was first starting to write. I felt he could not win, but he also couldn't walk in there and, and the woman looks up and says, I'm sorry, you lost, and then we fade to black. So those two options are out. Uh, my, in my original script, uh, what happened is David, uh, when they say he's lost, David finally gets up the gumption because he's been kind of a laid-back guy his whole life, not challenging people. He has to talk to the manager, and I had a big climactic scene where he, sh- he has a big showdown with a guy and tries to scare him into a lawsuit, and the guy finally says, okay, I'll give you the truck. And so they get the truck, and then they go out, and David buys the air compressor. Well, it was Alexander's idea when we sat down and he gave me notes, and I did my first rewrite, uh, that uh, uh, David would be the one to sacrifice his car uh, to get his dad the truck, which I thought was a, a better ending. Now, when I was writing the script, I thought I would have to have some big fireworks at the end because that's what's expected even on um, independent movies. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have even thought that I'd have the luxury of having that low a key of an ending to a movie. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad when, he, when you have someone like Alexander get on board and they can protect the script and they can say, no, we, we don't need to have something like that. Th- this might be more believable. And uh, the, the other thing Alexander did at the end, he did a rewrite uh, before shooting, uh, I had David pulling over in the truck on a rural road and letting Woody drive. And when they get back to town, uh, Woody sits in the passenger seat, and David drives through town. And you see all the you see Ed Pegram come out, uh, you see Angela McEwen, and the newspaper woman, come out. But uh, Woody's sitting there, kind of like the, the king, with his hat on and in all, all of his glory. Well, Alexander combined those two scenes, so when they get to town. And uh, now you have uh, Woody driving the truck. And when I saw uh, his rewrite, he passed it back to me for notes. And I saw that ending. I thought, that's perfect. That's great. I wish I'd thought of that. So, so let's talk a little bit about Alexander Payne. So it's, it must have been great collaborating with somebody who does understand screenwriting. He's yeah. a director, but gets it both ways. Yeah, he ways. knows a little bit about it. He does a little, you know. <laughs> Didn't he write dabbled. a few? Yeah. Dabbled, uh, What's that? He wrote a few scripts or something? Yeah. Like election. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the about Schmidt, Sideways, Descendants. The terrific writer. So the choice for black and white, it was interesting what you felt about that. That was all up to Alexander, and I was great with it. I was a little worried about what it would do to box office, but... On the other hand, I thought it would have a, class, uh, a timeless feel. It looked like the classic movies that I grew up loving. And so artistically, I, w- I was really happy about that. Now, when uh, and Alexander said this, it's no secret, when he went in uh, to talk to the studio about it, they had their meeting and everything was going well, and they were all, all aboard having Alexander shoot the, what's a fairly low-budget movie for a studio, and 
they finished their meeting and everyone was saying, oh, that's great. Well, let's get going with this thing. And as they're about to stand up, Alexander said to the studio people, oh, and by the way, you know, it's in black and white. (laughs) And then everybody sat down again. (laughs) And they continued the discussion. And uh, what happened is Alexander had to uh, bring his budget down uh, two or three million dollars to get it in line with what, what they thought would work for them releasing a movie in black and white. Let's see. So when did uh, when did so how did the transition? Because if you wrote in two thousand two, it's two thousand fourteen. Yeah. So with other directors attached to it, where they're trying to. Uh, no, uh, right after Julie got the uh, script to Ron Yerksa, they optioned it, and within a month or two, uh, they'd sent it to Alexander um, because they'd worked w- with him on election. They produced that movie with him, and they said, "Do you want to executive produce this?" Which would mean maybe trying to help us find the money. And we were thinking in terms of a $2 million movie at that time. And uh, they also said, uh, maybe you know a Midwest director, someone up and coming who would relate to this material. Uh, well, he did shock us all when he called them and said, I would like to direct it, but it won't be right away, and it won't be for $2 million. Uh, the original budget uh, was $16 million, and we brought it down to 13 for black and white. Uh, the other thing he told us at the time is, I'm about to go out and shoot a movie called Sideways, and I will not shoot Nebraska after that because I'm tired of shooting in cars. Uh, because when you're the director, you have to sit in a car, or a truck, or what behind it. You can't usually can't be in the car with the actors, and it's very frustrating, especially for someone like Alexander. He works right there with the actors, so he said it will be the movie after the movie. After sideways, <laughs> and he kept to his word, but no one knew it would take him ten years uh, to get there because it was seven years before he made the Descendants after Sideways, and uh, that wasn't by plan. He tried to get a couple of other projects going in that time. He, he even wrote another original of his own, but it was uh, just cost too much money to get produced. So he came back, and uh, his production company had the option on Descendants, and the director for that dropped out. And all of a sudden, Alexander stepped in to direct The Descendants at the last minute. But as soon as Descendants was finished, he called and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do Nebraska. And he got geared up, and he spent a year or two scouting locations and auditioning actors. Wow. And uh, so how gratifying is for you, uh, two of your actors got nominations of your characters? Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, like I say, I, I, when I sat down to write this, I was just trying to get a job. I thought, if I'm lucky, it'll be a $1 or $2 million independent movie. And uh, there was no thought in my head of me writing something that would get me nominated. But I also wasn't even thinking of terms of, that the actors would. I just didn't think the movie could possibly be big enough to get in, into that realm. Uh, when I first talked to Ron and Albert about it before Alexander was attached, and they said, well, maybe we can get $2 million for this. Uh, there, there was a hope at that time that uh, the Independent Spirit Awards w- might be in our future, uh, uh, lower budget movies. Oh. So. Uh, well, I mean, June Squibb was terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I, I noticed in the there was some allergy attacks in the audience during the scene where she kissed Woody in the forehead. <laughs> I, I call it allergy, but some people call it crying. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> how did that scene come about for you, or is that kind of? Uh, that was that was very nice. I mean. Uh, 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 once I decided that Kate had to join him on the trip, I wanted to try and add some dimension to her to character and have her stop yelling the whole time <laughs> and, and to show a softer side and, and that she you know 
uh, and uh, th there did need to be a, a scene be between the two of them, even if one of them's unconscious, uh, you know, <laughs> to show that the, there, there's this connection and a reason they've been together all those years. And also by giving David some of that background over the years, he, he could see that, he, you know, they, they were young once. There's this thing a lot of us think our parents were born the same day we were. And we don't realize how randy they were running around being crazy and uh, doing this type of thing. And uh, uh, so David had got an inkling that uh, once upon a time, uh, they were this young couple. So let's talk a little about the Oscar season mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. So how has that been, you know, with all the praise and the awards and traveling all over the place? <laughs> well, it's uh, I had no idea, really. Uh, I didn't have any idea exactly what the um, uh, when I went out to uh, try and sell the movie. I was out there for a few weeks, uh, but I really had no idea what happens once you get a nomination. It uh, it, it just so happened that I I know there's this flu that's been going around California. It's a wicked one, and I caught it the day before the nominations. Oh. So the morning of the nominations, I I, I was asleep. I told my wife. Uh, if I get in, come and knock, uh, shove me awake, because uh, it's 5.30 in the morning, they announce. And if I don't get in, let me sleep, because I don't feel good. Uh, so, so I got the wake-up call, and after that, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, the emails and the phone calls, I, was, I could barely talk. I was coughing so much, and I was trying to do interviews. And uh, that's how it started, and it's been pretty much like that for, what, three weeks now? Uh, <laughs> So I, I, re I really didn't know it, it, it went on like that. I thought once the nomination was in, everybody relaxed. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're off to London uh, next? Uh, and yes, the BAFTA Awards are, are next week. Uh, it's the only one my wife cared about because she's an Anglophile. <laughs> she said, if you get anything, get the BAFTA so we can go to London. <laughs> so, Something about Yeah. Well, I'm having fun, but let's open it up a little to the audience. You put a lot of yourself and a lot of your background into this one. Do you have another project in the works that you're writing right now? Uh, well, another guy who came from our show in Seattle Almost Live is Joe McHale. He's on Community mm -hmm. and The Soup. And uh, he'd asked me to, to write a script for him, and I, I did that. And we took that out a few months ago. We got the uh, Juno producers, uh, Mr. Mudd, is John Malkovich's company. So we're out as a package now for me to direct again on that one. Uh, and Joel uh, to star. And uh, that's about a, a Native American reservation that just built their first high school and now they're fielding their first uh, girls softball team. And that uh, 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 comes from a real-life experience, a, a friend of mine. Uh, but uh, this, just this morning, I had my first uh, meeting on another script that I wrote since then uh, that we just took out last week, and we're talking to actors and financiers, which is, in a way, um, uh, what you're saying. I'm going back into more of my own personal life. It's almost like a prequel to Nebraska, only with completely different characters and setting. Uh, but in this case, it's more like a 40-year-old father and his 10-year-old son. And uh, if any of you have seen the old Italian movie uh, Bicycle Thief mm -hmm. or Bicycle Thieves, it's also known as. Uh, father loses his bike and his son. Uh, the two of them go out for the weekend trying to find it. 
because it's his means of uh, transportation and employment. So uh, this new one, uh, right now it's called the Confirmation. And again, I went back into my past and some of the things that I remembered uh, as a boy at, at 10 uh, going through with my dad. And uh, uh, so we're, we're just hitting the, the pavement with that one. What was the purpose of the, uh, the girlfriend character at the beginning? Uh, the girlfriend, uh, when, when I first wrote it, the, the point was to give David a reason to get out of town. <laughs> so I was kind of creating the, you know, the, his job, he's not happy at his job, uh, his dad's driving him crazy with all this talk, and now he's just broke up with his girlfriend. So that was part of it. And in the original script, the girlfriend uh, shows up with the mother, and she is there uh, with them, and they're also, their, their story's having a little bit of an arc on that end. Uh, Alexander uh, decided that the girlfriend wasn't necessary uh, towards the end. And what he did was he gave, uh, uh, in my original script, David worked in a cubicle, and you, you didn't even know where he worked, and Ross was an insurance salesman. And they didn't, there was no really sibling rivalry. Alexander created a, a situation with the brother, kind of a semi-celebrity in Billings on the air, so that there's a little bit of tension, even though the brothers get along and they're, they're really good friends. But there's, you know, David, you know, feels like his life is falling apart and Ross seems to be doing well. And then when they have their moment together rescuing the compressor for their dad, they have a, that completes their story arc, and all of that's kind of by the wayside. So he, he felt the uh, girlfriend at the end would be redundant, and he saw uh, the, uh, what was happening in Hawthorne through David's eyes, and he said, the girlfriend is really just kind of duplicating what David, she's also observing. So you have two people observing, and that's probably not necessary. So that was his decision, and again, I think a good one. I'm curious to find out how you are taking to, well, it's been a while now since you've written this for your first actual full-length screenplay, but going from the smaller, you know, the jokes and the, the skits mm -hmm. to the longer narrative, do you have a preference either way, or do you do mm -hmm. both? Do you switch back and forth, or are you kind of more into the full-length feature? Uh, right now, it's the full-length feature. When I, when I, uh, I really loved writing sketches and jokes. It's, it's uh, just a lot of fun, and doing that show you're talking about, I was on it 10 years because it was... It wasn't like a job. I'm, you could work 60 hours a week, and it was just fun. Uh, but when I did finally sit down to write Nebraska, as I was getting into it, and I finally broke the story and was writing it, uh, it really was a, like a revelation to me. I thought, this is uh, something that I really enjoy doing. And uh, it, it, I, I was sorry it took so long. Um, uh, so my, I mean, most of you uh, here are in college right or or uh, 50 50 community 50 /50, in the, yeah uh, uh so uh i guess my advice to you here is I, I mean i wrote so i wrote my first screenplay at 45 uh so my advice to you don't wait till you're 45 <laughs> and then do not necessarily find a director who's going to wait another 10 years to make it uh so uh i i really wish that i had started earlier so when i optioned this i was really uh, hungry to, to write some more movie scripts. And that's why I, I, I had a, a, a really nice run doing assignments for the studios. 
in which you go in and, and they tell you what books or magazine articles or a foreign film that they want to adapt. And uh, that was great for me, and it, it, it's great work, but most of those never get produced, so you're in what's called development hell. Uh, but on the other hand, I have a very hard time coming up with ideas that I think will make feature-length films. And Alexander Payne has asked this all the time, why don't you make more movies? And he said, I'll make a movie every year if I have a story I believe in. So that's what holds him back as well. So when we found out he was gearing up to shoot Nebraska, I told my agent, I'm not going to take any more assignments for the next couple of years. I'm going to start writing originals again. And that's uh, what I did. And that's why I just you know, went out with the Joe McHale script. And, and then the new one uh, we just started with this week. And I also... Um, had an idea for a TV pilot, and uh, so we're going out with that next week. So I was trying to time it all uh, to match, uh, you know, Nebraska coming out uh, because I do I do love this this format, and uh, as much fun as sketch comedy writing is, it, there really is a uh, gratification to tell a full story and to develop characters and to and to have it pay off. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, I'd love to have a chance to write a sketch here, here and there once in a while in the future, but, but this is what I really like doing now. Yeah. Now, your first script has been nominated for the Academy Award, mm-hmm. um, and you've got some other projects, but, and, and you know, you've had a long career before this in mm-hmm. sketch comedy and stuff. Do you have specific goals for what you'd like to do next, besides more mm-hmm. genres, people you'd like to work with, things you haven't done yet as a writer that you'd like to do? Uh, yeah, my, I mean, uh, the other thing that happened, uh, my agent became a, a manager, so he's my manager. So just recently I went around to the agencies and I signed with WME. And that's part of that's to give me some backing to do what I want to do, which is I want to just write the kind of movies that I want to see. I want to go back to the original reason that I wrote Nebraska, it was because this is the kind of movie I wanted to see. And uh, my thought in these new scripts that I've written is they could be made for any budget. They could be made for 100000 a million, two million. They could be five, maybe eight million. If I'm directing it for the first time, they're probably going to be under 10 million and closer to five. Uh, but my goal is if I can make small films like that the rest of my life, I'd be happy. Uh, you know, there are people doing it. Nicole Holf Center uh, making uh, her, her movies. Tom McCarthy uh, making smaller movies. Uh, there are a bunch of people that I really admire. They've found their niche. They, they know what they want to do. And I know the kind of movies I want to do. And I know, in a way, I'm starting out with a $13 million studio film. And, and what I've told these people I'm working with think of me as a guy in my 20s, not a guy who's 57, <laughs> who really just wants to start over again from scratch, whatever budget I can get, make small films. Uh, my ultimate goal would be uh, to get back into the area that Alexander Payne is operating in, 10 to $15 million movies, uh, you know, like Jason Reitman was doing with Juno and Up in the Air. Uh, if I could do movies like that, I'd be very happy. But I'd also, if I spent the rest of my life doing $2 million uh, movies that I really believed in, uh, that would be fine too. Was there anything that 
um, an actor brought to their character that you hadn't originally intended for that character, or that surprised you? Uh, you know, actually, they all did. I mean, uh, the other nice thing uh, when you're operating at this level with an Alexander Payne, he's one of the best casting directors, and he has a casting director that he works with, John Jackson, that has been with him since his first movie. So you know that no, no matter who they pick, it's going to be amazing. You're going to see things you hadn't imagined. I mean, you can start with Will Forte because that's such an underplayed part. It's such a low-key character. But every time I see the movie, I'm so appreciative of, of the things that Will Forte brought to it that I, I hadn't even uh, thought of and that weren't on the page. And then you think, uh, uh, I've always loved Bob Odenkirk. I knew, I knew as soon as I saw his name, that he would know how to play that brother and to, to bring something to it. Uh, so he's not a jerk necessarily, but he's, he's a mixture of things, and he doesn't have that many lines or scenes to bring that across. And a Bob Odenkirk is the perfect kind of guy. Stacy Keach is one of our finest Shakespearean actors, so you know that, that he's going to be there, and you, you're glad for what, whatever he does, and, and he did some amazing things. Now, uh, June Squibb has some... Uh, amazing things. When she um, uh, finishes her speech at the uh, cemetery and she does that happy little walk off, I mean, that's something I didn't write. That, and I'm not even sure Alexander told her to do a little skip away from the <laughs> headstones. So uh, that was probably something that she brought. And another thing I don't think a uh, writer or a director could tell an actor to do is when she's sitting in the back of the car when her sons are in the, hiding in the barn and they're talking to those people and they, they run out of things to say. And June Squibb <laughs> is about to say something and her mouth just makes these motions and then stops. Uh, I could spend 10 pages explaining that and I couldn't get it. I didn't, that's not in the script. That's something an actor brings. And then when you get to Bruce Dern, there are too many things for me to even talk about that, that he brought to this role that weren't on the page or surpassed uh, what, you know, whatever I had in mind. Um, I'm so glad when, when I wrote the um, scene where they walked through the, his old house, uh, that started out with a, a lot of talking, and Kate was blabbing on as usual, and, and uh, the brothers were talking, and I kept cutting it down. When Alexander did his pass, he cut it down, and I, I noticed from the final shooting draft uh, through editing when I first saw it, they even cut some lines. And that's because uh, you don't need those lines because everything uh, that you need to know is right there on Bruce Dern's face. And sometimes you just have to let the actor tell the story. If you can get away with it, let them show you. And uh, uh, Bruce did that many other uh, places in in the movie, but that's one that I am always grateful for, that that he was able to uh, bring that across in that crucial scene. Seeing as it was a very personal film, I was wondering if there were any scenes that were particularly difficult to rewrite um, after getting notes back. After getting note, notes back? Yeah. And all to rewrite if... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think the scene through the house was, was, was the toughest. Most of the other scenes, I kind of knew what I wanted uh, uh, to do. Um, uh, the the railroad scene with the with the teeth was a little difficult because I I was always looking for little places to plant a little humor in this and, and like I say in real life we didn't do the joking uh, so 
So that one was a little tough. I mean, how, how much, what, what kind of little uh, humor can we put in this without making it seem like he's making fun of his dad? And also that uh, it worked out because the little fun that he is poking at his dad, he gets back right back at him. And that, that scene was important to me, too, because I wanted to show at that point that uh, Woody still had something up there, that there was still a mind at work, and, and there was still a, there's still a person in there. And by him kind of uh, doing it right back to his son, um, uh, I thought that, that was the way to get that across. Uh, to me, the, uh, I just wanted uh, in this whole setup to, uh, even though Woody is based on my dad, he's not exactly like my dad. He's more curmudgeonly. So I have to explain that to people. I don't want them to think of, of my dad as going through his whole life like that. So it's always a balancing act uh, for me to to make sure that uh, you saw Woody as a real person, that you understood that uh, he was actually a very generous person who had been burned quite a bit in his life uh, by that generosity. I wanted to know, before you knew that Bruce Dern was perfect for Woody Grant, did you, as you were writing it, have someone else in mind as you were writing, because I know it's based on your dad, so sometimes it's hard to separate the personal from from the art. Yeah. But did you have someone in mind that you thought? Well, I did. It wasn't necessarily with the intent that uh, I'm going to get this actor to be in my movie. But as you say, sometimes you try to imagine people. And so part of it was my dad's voice. But also, as far as the look, uh, Robert Duvall looked a lot like my dad. So I, I, I thought of uh, Robert Duvall, and, and, and there's a couple of reasons. Uh, Robert Duvall was also, if you've seen Tender Mercies, and uh, I, I'm a big Horton Foote fan who wrote Tender Mercies, and another film that has uh, a little bit of Nebraska in it, Trip to Bountiful. But Horton Foote also wrote uh, the adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, and, uh, you know, Robert Duvall had his uh, start in that movie. So there was all, all these little connections in my mind. So I, I did use his face and kind of my father's voice. But it, it was such a long shot that it would ever be made. Well, we always end our show with one question. Oh. Uh, it's a movie theater yeah. question. So movie can you share with us a movie theater experience you had maybe with your dad growing up that really meant a lot to you or some experience going to the movies? Or a movie uh, that really you connected with as well, a child. Well, yeah, I mean, we did. There, uh, I grew, anybody know the Seattle area? There's a town south of Seattle called Kent, where I grew up. And uh, the uh, woman who asked the story about Almost Live probably knows Kent because we used to make fun of it all the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, they had a, a little theater there when I was growing up. It was really the only theater I knew called the Rialto. And uh, we would go down there. I remember, um, and probably the film I remember the most was both touching and had its humorous uh, parts was uh, Old Yeller. And, uh, of course, it's not funny at the end. But there are, (laughs) you know, they did incorporate, you know, some little bits of humor along the way. And uh, so I, I, I do recall uh, that movie uh, scene with my dad. It's interesting because you, you touch on a lot of personal stuff and Old Yellow was also a very personal story. So it's interesting yeah. as a writer, you, <laughs> you connect it to that. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank oh everybody for coming. Mm. Thank you so much. Uh, 
Thank you all from the internet who are watching us live, and especially Academy members. It's great that you were able to join us. Of, of course, thank the Polytheater Theater interns. They're the ones. You can see them. They're awesome. And uh, thank you, Paramount, for giving this movie in nine days, helping us put this together. That's awesome. And thank you, everybody who made this wonderful movie. Cast and crew, everybody behind you can tell that everybody had a love for it. And even the cinematography, the sound, yeah. flawless cast and crew. And, of course, our awesome screenwriter, well, thank Bob you. Nelson. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.